0: Latest information on charitable giving in 2022. Hi, I'm Bill Stanchukiewicz. This is the first day from the Fundraising School, and I'm joined today by a cherished member of the Fundraising School faculty, Eric Daubert, who also is with the Fundraising Effectiveness Project. And the Fundraising Effectiveness Project releases quarterly reports in real time to help us know how charitable giving is rolling along at any giving moment. And Eric, thanks for being back with us on the Fundraising Schools podcast.
1: Bill, it's such a pleasure to be with you in the Fundraising School. Thanks for being a leader in the nonprofit sector. It's a privilege to be with you today.
0: Well, the second quarter data are in for 2022, and what are the data saying?
1: You know, it's interesting, Bill. We're seeing some trends in philanthropy um, around COVID that are, quite frankly, fascinating and unprecedented. Uh, This isn't surprising, uh, but uh, COVID has shifted the landscape of philanthropy in the nonprofit sector, and I think we're seeing evidence of that in our reports. One of the things we're seeing is that donors are, are down in terms of retention. Retention is something that we look at because, uh, as you know, of course, from your work in the fundraising school, retained donors tend to be more valuable over time as they make increasingly progressive and larger gifts to the organization. So when, when donors aren't retained, obviously, we spend all this work and all this time and all this energy bringing a donor into our organizational universe. Uh, and then ultimately, hopefully, having, you know having them make that first gift what we're finding is that less and less of those donors are being retained over time, which we believe has real concerns for, you know, the future of philanthropy in terms of major gifts, um, forming deep organizational relationships with donors, which has been a tradition of fundraising in the past. Uh, and, uh, you know, and those things can be alarming obviously for the future of philanthropy and the present. Now the Eric, good Bobby, news is,
0: yeah, go ahead, Bill. But let me ask you just on that point and then dive deeper into the to the rest of the report what is the timeframe of comparison? Are you comparing donor retention from the second quarter to the first quarter, from the second quarter of 2022 to the, first quor- to the second quarter of 2021? Because you know, where my mind goes, you're right, that is concerning, but maybe there were people in 2020 who just made that one special gift, especially in human services, uh, because they knew of the need. Uh, maybe they did so from their donor-advised fund, and we saw you know, huge amounts of money coming out of donor-advised funds, specifically because of the pandemic. Or folks receive their federal checks, and they said, "Well, I still have my full-time job, so I'm going to take that stimulus check and I'm going to donate it to my favorite charity." What is the time frame? And when you talk about the pandemic being a complicating factor, what's your analysis? How do we understand these data?
1: Yeah, really great questions, Bill. A couple of things: what we do at the Fundraising Effectiveness Project is we create, we compare year to date to year to date. So what that means is, is you know, June 30, 2022. Where were we on the trajectory of fundraising as compared with year, uh, June 30, 2021? Our goal is to see how we're keeping pace in years past with years past. Now, you ask about um, COVID, and I think you make some great points. You know, if you look at the years of philanthropy in 2020 and 2021, we had some things like the universal charitable tax deduction. We had things like uh, PPP loans going out, where some people donated. Uh, PPP loans to, to nonprofits uh, and it did things like that. So there were a lot of anomalies in giving and in our universe uh, in terms of giving in COVID uh, years 2020 and 2021. So that has made, I would argue, nonprofit philanthropic data kind of more wonky than ever uh, because we're comparing with past years that are not always normal. But that being said, what we've seen for consecutive quarters is continued downfall in donor retention. And that's why that number is so alarming. The good news is is that dollars have actually kept up uh, because major donors are giving more. So what we're seeing is um, our our bottom uh, level donors uh, are giving less and and tending not to give repeatedly to the same organizations. But we are seeing repeated giving at the larger donor levels in terms of increased dollars. So while donors were down 7% year to date, 2022 compared to 2021, dollars were up over 6% year to date Uh, 2022 to 2021. I share that with you to say that uh, large donors are giving more. Uh, They're not keeping up with inflation. A few things are, uh, but uh, they are giving more. Uh, But our smallest donors, in our report, about 98% of our donors are $500 donors or less. So what that shows is that a lot of those smaller donors aren't giving repeatedly to organizations. And I think a lot of that is on us and a lot of that is on the environment and on them as well.
0: So let, let's break that down. Let's talk about the environment. How much of this perhaps is related to the increase in the inflation rate, which hits our lower and moderate income neighbors harder uh, than medium and upper income neighbors? Uh, how much of it is we're either in a recession or people think a recession is coming? Um, you know, so we've talked about the pandemic. How much of this do you think is associated with the current economic conditions in the United States?
1: So again, fantastic question. What we've always tried to do with the Fundraising Effectiveness Project is report the data and share the data and show what it is. We're actually the largest public philanthropic database in the world, we believe. Uh, And that's uh, according to Giving Tuesday and the Data Commons, you partner with the AFP Foundation for Philanthropy on making this project happen. But with that said, you know, small donors are, are experiencing a ton of pressures from a lot of different directions. Um, a recent report on CNBC, I think, had 64% of the American public living paycheck to paycheck. And by the way, almost half the people living paycheck to paycheck, um, or almost half the people who make six-figure salaries, I should say, are living paycheck to paycheck. Hmm. So you know, here we have people who are making six-figure salaries who theoretically are living paycheck to paycheck. Imagine being somebody on the smaller level of income scales in the United States. Um, you know, imagine how easy it is to live paycheck to paycheck at that level. So with that said, you know, our, our we we categorize donors in, in two of our smallest levels: are donors under $100 and donors under $500. That's two of our smaller category levels in the fundraising effectiveness project study report. Well, 98% of our donors make up, you know, are are in those two categories. When you look at those two categories, there's tremendous pressure on them from a variety of you know factors: work, wages inflation, the cost of bread, the cost of gas, the cost of childcare, the cost of fill and all that apply. So when you see those pressures, it's not surprising to see that some of those people aren't giving again, but to say that they're not being philanthropic and not being charitable um, based on one report, I think is an overstatement. So I still have tremendous confidence in the American public to give. I still believe you know, in, in all of the research that I've seen, poor people still give more, a uh, higher percentage of their household income to charity than wealthy people do. Uh, And I think uh, there's still great hope for philanthropy. My concerns are just around what does the future of philanthropy look like if we don't build habit forming relationships between donors and organizations um, in philanthropy uh, going
0: into the future? And Eric, that takes us to the second part of uh, a comment you made earlier where you say there could be these external factors, but there are some things on us as fundraisers. What is on us as fundraisers? uh, As we hear these data, we wonder how, you know, what's left of the pandemic, what's happening with the economy, what's happening in other world events uh, might be affecting our donors, especially those in the low to moderate income ranges. What can fundraisers be doing?
1: So there's a lot that I think we can be doing. And in, in a recent Association of Fundraising Professionals study, they found that two out of three donors stopped giving to nonprofits because they didn't think the organization cared about them. And that, to me, is a loud and clear message for nonprofit organizations that we have got to do a much better job of saying thank you than we do of saying please. I think uh, most nonprofit organizations do a very poor, organ, uh, poor organizational effort um, at saying thank you, especially with small and mid-level donors. Uh, if you think about a first-time donor uh, who's given to your organization, magic has happened, as I like to say. They have made a gift to your organization. Uh, they have decided to partner with you on uh, their sh- your shared values and mission and, and changing the world. Uh, and we kind of go, oh, you know, oh, it's only a $10 gift. Well, that is the wrong thing to think because a lot of, first of all, a lot of wealthy people start off making small gifts to charities and nonprofits to say, hey, how is this relationship gonna work and uh, how do they treat me? But also too, small gifts matter um, in, the, in the context of, the, of today and they even matter more in the context of donor relationships tomorrow. So I think we've gotta do a better job at saying thank you than we are of saying please. We also have to do a better job of reporting back to donors about how their gift was used and how it matters. We can do that in a number of different ways. Uh, a, a recent research project out of our Nova, uh, a conference and organization that you and I both uh, love, uh, know and love, uh, found that uh, if you treat new donors like the heroes they are, and in your language uh, you say, you know, thank you, Bill, so much for your gift of twenty-five dollars to the X Y Z nonprofit. You are really a hero to our organization for making that gift. Um, your gift enables us to do great work. And you are a hero in that story. Thanks so much for being a hero to our organization. Hero, hero, hero. What, what what the research is finding that when you use that type of language with a first-time donor, they are more likely to come back to you than you are than they are if you use language that just talks about your mission and talks about the how the twenty-five dollars was spent. So as we learn things like that through research, and we can apply that as fundraisers to our. Um, to our technology, to our emails that we send, to texts that we may send to donors, to other communications that we may have around donor stewardship, we can hopefully do a better job at retaining them in the future than we have in the past.
0: A Couple of other data points to add in. One is we do know that when the inflation rate is higher than 5%, it can have a negative effect on charitable giving. And the data from this report seem to indicate that that's occurring. But what we also know from giving USA data from one year to the next is that during a recession, after adjusting for inflation, charitable giving goes down by one half of 1%. Still goes down, doesn't mean everything's great. Also, it's different by sector, right? We also know during economic downturns, for example, giving to human services goes up quite substantially. So again, it depends on the sector, it depends on your donor database. And we also need if for any of those donors who have stopped giving, to really drive home Eric's point about stewardship, to maintain relationships with folks. Maybe just for now they can't be giving, find other ways for them to stay informed and stay engaged. Eric, as we conclude here, any other information from the report, advice that you have, and then of course how folks can access this latest quarterly update.
1: Yeah, a couple of things, you know, first off the, you know, while donors were down and dollars were up, it wasn't true across all subsectors. One of the things we do is we parse our information by the National Taxonomy Code, the NTEE code uh, for nonprofit organizations. And what we found is, is that there are a couple of highlights. One is religious giving uh, is, uh, is up compared with other sectors. Uh, and I share that with you because that doesn't surprise you. We know from our friends at the, at the Lake Institute um, that religious giving is stickier, but uh, religious giving recovering and coming back is an exciting thing for me to see as our, as our um, faith friends uh, go back to church or maybe re-engage with uh, their religious traditions through philanthropy. Um, another uh, bright spot was environment uh, environment uh, organizations. So they also were up. So most other types of organizations, health, human services, arts were down, but those were two shining spots that were up. I think the thing I want to share in close is a few things. First of all, you can find these reports for free at afpfep.org. Also, our friends at uh, Giving Tuesday have a data commons where you can get in and actually mix it up with the data in terms of using a, a live dashboard. So know that you can find uh, information there and actually sort information by subsector and things like that to see how individual uh, giving areas, if you will, of philanthropy are performing. Uh, I want to thank, I want to really thank uh, the people that make this happen is the donor software companies who share their data. Uh, there are some real heroes in our nonprofit sector and some of these are organizations like Donor Perfect, Um, or Keela or Neon One, or Bloomerang. These are companies who share their data so that we can get this information and they share that freely. So it's a beautiful um, partnership between the for-profit and the nonprofit sector that this data even happens. Uh, And it's great that the AFP Foundation for Philanthropy and Giving Tuesday make it work. Again, afpfep.org, you can get the reports for free.
0: And uh, yet another reason why we encourage folks to join your local chapter, the Association of Fundraising Professionals, research, uh, resources like the Fundraising Effectiveness Project, and other good information to strengthen your fundraising ability, as we also do here at the Fundraising School, where our content is research-based wherever possible. Don't worry, we're going to translate that. We're not going to bring our chi-square tests and our R-values We're gonna translate this for practical application. And it's why our alumni meet or exceed their fundraising goals at a rate higher than the national average. And 95% of our alumni report that they have gained confidence uh, to fundraise after attending the fundraising school. Another key reason why is our talented faculty, people like Eric Dauber, who teach in our public courses, which are available in person, and online, either live or recorded. Our custom training, same thing. We can come straight to you with a custom tailor-made course just for your nonprofit, your association, your region, in the United States, anywhere around the world, both in person and online. We have quarterly webinars and of course these free podcasts. And in addition, you can find information about our textbook, Achieving Excellence in Fundraising. It's the fifth edition. Eric's fingerprints are all over it. He's a co-author of the book. Uh, And uh, you receive a discount if you purchase through our website, which is philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. So grateful for our producers today, Jennifer Boffman and Mike Anthony. Always great to chat with my good colleague, Eric Daubert. I'm Bill Sandjakevich. And now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school.